with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to the Friday Political Panel. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and we're here today with Eric Allen, Art Betke, and Herb Martin. I wanted to start out uh, looking at some really interesting and pointed comments from the mayor of McKenzie that were reported in the uh, Prince George Citizen. Uh, you know, really, she's she's saying that there is lots of supply in the McKenzie timber supply area. It's not an issue of how many trees they've got right now. It's actually an issue of uh, policy, including removal of a pertinency um, and, you know, can for holding the largest uh, forest license in the region, but shutting mills there because they can cart it further south. Uh, Eric, what do you think about this uh, this idea of a pertinency, and and are we going to get somewhere with with uh, some of these demands to change policy? Well, <clears throat> certainly, a good question. Uh, you know, pertinency came uh, quite a number of years ago, and the problems came with it. You know, problems for the smaller towns. Doesn't matter whether it was Terrace, Kitimat, or not Kitimat, but <clears throat> Vanderhoof, Fort St. James, whatever. And then they started trucking all this stuff to the so-called super mills. Uh, part of it is just natural competition. I mean, if you can, if you're in the lumber business and you can build a, a mill that triples your production with half the cost, that's the way you're going to go. But the government has a responsibility to stick with the rules, and the rule of thumb at that time was that you mill the logs in the area where you log them. <clears throat> The liberals will have to take responsibility for that. They brought in the legislation. They got rid of a pertinency, and they don't like to talk about it. In fact, they get to the point that they start criticizing the government that's in power now for not doing the right thing. Well, they didn't make it easy for them to do the right thing. They made it almost impossible. And uh, I agree with the mayor of uh, McKenzie. It's, you don't have to be a, a genius to figure out what's going on there. This... Those mills, like that pulp mill of McKenzie goes back to 1972, I think, when it was uh, BC Forest Products or something. And then uh, I think an outfit called uh, Pope and Talbot or something bought it. And then then uh, Fletcher Challenge from uh, New Zealand bought it. And now who bought it after that? Paper Excellence. It was Paper Excellence after that. Wasn't it? <clears throat> so we are. that's where we are now. But you can see it falling apart over the years, and it's just fiber supply is part of it. Uh, foreign ownership is part of it. Uh, you know where where your markets are part of it. When the price goes up, when the price goes down, it's it's a big, big problem. But you know they used to even take wood chips from Mackenzie and send them to Vancouver, load them on a barge, and go over to the pulp mills over on the islands there. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways you can do things. And we brought logs and things into Prince George by rail, and they got rid of the railway. So, and then again, that was a liberal deal, shut down the BC Rail. And now now they're trying to climb back from that and get back to where they were 10, 15 years ago. It's not going to create any more jobs. Um, I think the best they can hope for is to get maybe two strategically located Mills in the interior tied to the timber in the area. Something like, say, if you had Dunkley and uh, Lakeland and Carrier Lumber and maybe two more mills of that size. I mean, you're not going to get a mill differently. You're not going back to the old way of doing it. But those are efficient mills. 
They're independent, limited company mills, and uh, that's probably the best you're going to do. Art, do you think that there's a, actually any chance of the mayor Mackenzie getting what she wants, which is to bring milling capacity back to her her town? Oh, where are you going to get somebody with deep enough pockets to build a modern sawmill there? Uh, they, they, first of all, they have to have an assured timber supply, and there'll, there'll be a big fight over that. Uh, like I can sympathize with her. Uh, the, there is a huge amount of timber land available for that. It should be going to Mackenzie. Uh, when I worked in that area 35 years ago, uh, it was just booming. There were 6,000 people in the town. Now there's only 3,700. Uh, but the mills, they, they didn't shut down for lack of timber. They didn't shut down because of loss of appurtenancy. They shut down over the years uh, over economic issues. I don't know if they didn't modernize as much as the others enough to compete, but it, it, uh, it, they, they did shut down. And for a while, there were no mills at all in Mackenzie. And then uh, one of the pulp mills was started up, and uh, then Canfor bought, I believe it was the BCFP mill, and uh, started it up again. But that had nothing to do with the pertinency. Uh, the the um, McLeod Lake Indian Band ended up with a lot of the quota there, and so they're going to sell to wherever, I guess, uh, wherever they can sell it to. If there's no mill in McKenzie, they have to sell it far away. They were actually, I know they were trying to buy that mill in McKenzie, but were never, but the deal was never finalized, yeah. Like, uh, but, you know, if you shut down the, the mill in McKenzie, you can keep one going in Prince George. If you keep, get a mill going again in McKenzie, then you have to shut one more down in Prince George. So the fiber supply in McKenzie, what you're saying, the fiber supply in McKenzie is supplying the other mills that are still well, operating. Yeah, it, it's the yeah. whole area. It's because these super mills chew up so much wood. Yeah. And in the past, they didn't. I mean, you look at a pertinency back in the 50s. Well, there were mills at Hansard and Elisa Lake and Giscombe. Oh, they're all gone. You know, yeah. So the pertinency didn't save them. And and the uh, they, they couldn't there. because, uh, you know, they just all got amalgamated into Northwood. That was um, what, what Ben Parfit said on Tuesday night of the event that we had at the university there. Um, 25% of the capacity of in BC's interior logging is eight mills. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Herb, do you think, uh, what do you think about this? Do you think we can go back to a pertinency? Do you think that regulations will actually kind of bring us back to something where we can have smaller community mills or is that just totally gone and maybe we'll get a few small independent sawmillers on private land uh, there has to be a major revamp of our uh, major revamp of our forest uh, policies uh, I, I had a chat with uh, uh, the mayor of uh, Mackenzie prior to uh, the last Tuesday's meeting and among the stories uh she told me was that uh, in Mackenzie they haven't actually cut their annual allowable cut in the last 10 years, that the Ministry of Forests has actually retired 14 million cubic meters uh, without putting it up for auction. So there seems to be uh, basically some uh, connivance between um, the Ministry of Forests and the, and the major licensees. Uh, I think good old-fashioned... Um, uh, 
free enterprise would solve a lot of problems, uh, along with um, basically revisiting the, uh, the the contract with um, CN Rail. Uh, it looks uh, since the uh, meeting last Tuesday at uh, UNBC, uh, the Millet Taylor is basically being uh, shut down officially by Canfor. the The rumor has it that. Um, uh, the mill was shut down because they couldn't get rail cars from CN Rail. The mayor of Mackenzie told me that uh, Conifex and Upper Fraser um, can't get um, rail cars either. I've heard the same thing from Hampton. This is the, the, apparently lumber is the lowest priority for CN in terms of what they'll put it's there the on their trains. Paid. Yeah. yeah, so you know we we totally well the Liberals shot the industry and the province in the foot. Uh, by trying to, um, by acceding to uh, basically the major's uh, uh, insistence that they um, uh, get rid of BC Rail and go with uh, CN Rail. And now we've got CN Rail and we've got no industry. So I think, uh, I hope the the NDP has the guts to revisit that program and to uh, reinstate uh, or, or reclaim BC Rail. That's the only way that they're going to have any kind of uh, options going forward. Otherwise, uh, we're going to have a few major super mills draining jobs and uh, resources out of the rest of the rest of the north. Yeah, this is. I mean, it's continuing. Uh, it seems like every week we have a, another kind of bad news story coming out of the forest industry. Um, there are lots of ideas out there, as we as we heard on. Uh, Tuesday night, if, if any of the listeners out there were able to attend the uh, the event, Future of Forestry, um, we heard lots of interesting ideas uh, from from folks involved. Um, and again, the uh, Mayor McKenzie has some policy recommendations, but whether or not they're realistic is another another question. Uh, I mean, and we're also sitting the one of the thing one of the interesting things you mentioned. Okay, they 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 actually reduced the AAC kind of unilaterally in McKenzie by by removing by just letting uh, licenses lapse. The other thing that we're not talking about here is the fact that there are a bunch of caribou herds in that in that TSA, uh, and there is now federal pressure on the province to uh, protect those caribou herds because of their dwindling numbers. Uh, I wonder if that's I wonder if that's part of it. They're going through a timber supply review right now, and I guess we'll see what the results of that are. Well, there is one more thing too: is that uh, the provincial government is wanting to protect more and more land, conserve it, uh, so uh, that restricts the amount of timber supply available. Uh, if a company is going to invest billions into building new mills, they need an assured supply. In addition to the provincials and our federal government, the liberals, intend to preserve 30% of the country, which I'm sure will include a lot of BC forests. And uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty for the industry, and you can't invest based on uncertainties. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, the other, the, one of the things that Mayor of McKenzie was saying on Tuesday was they, they're locking up these licenses though, right? And I wonder, I, I was under the impression that if you don't use your license, if you don't use your, the volume in your license, uh, then do you have the, your risk of getting that license taken back? It's, to be. it's supposed to be taken away, but the, no government has had the guts to take on the forest industry. So that's, that's the basic problem. No, I, you know, I think we have to start looking at places like Nepal, where they nationalized the forest back in the, I believe, in the 50s. And by the 80s, uh, the, the, the forests were in a terrible state. So they relinquished control 
back to local communities. And, I th- and uh, Mayor McKenzie actually came out and said that uh, what's saving them at the moment is a very small community forest that is uh, basically almost covering the uh, loss of revenue from the pulp mill that went down. So, and that's that's extremely small. It's, I think it's thirty seven thousand cubic meters, but it's paying dividends on the order of half a million bucks every year, both to Mackenzie and to McLeod Lake. So, uh, is that an area based tenure? Uh, that's an, I'm not sure. Okay. I, I I think it's area based because there's interesting things around area based tenures, like and, yeah. and private land. You have an incentive to actually manage the forest, right? To make sure that it can provide going forward. Well, and I think I think that is a way that is a way to to go forward. That you know we have to start looking at using Bill Twenty Two. The NDP brought this in, but there's no enabling legislation at the moment. So uh, Ledley Tenney got three hundred thirty thousand hectares. Uh, you know this is something you know Prince George is looking at a community forest now. Uh, that was that was mentioned at the um, Tuesday night uh, forum by uh, the mayor, and it was again in the news this morning. Uh, but we have to start thinking big. Like we start looking at uh, you know a million hectares. Art, Art, you're skeptical about area-based tenures. No, what I'm skeptical about is uh, private ownership solving the problem. Ah, okay. I I've seen two kinds of attitude towards private ownership. In Sweden, uh, most of the forest land there is privately owned, and most of it is in fairly small plots. And there's lots of families who will have like five acres of forest and things like that. And there they care about the forest. They they go out on the weekends and putter and, and uh, treat their land and, you know, and it is logged. It's, it's grown for logging and for making a profit. Uh, but I have seen private landowners here get a piece of, you know, like a quarter section or something like that of timber, and they clear-cut it and abandon it. They don't plant it again. It's very lucrative to log it and sell it. And why would they want to then spend money to replant it when they're not going to be around to see the trees grow up? Right. That's interesting. And I have seen that over and over and over. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. Find out what's happening in and around Prince George for the latest community events and happenings. Tune in to After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Your host for the day will interview everybody from local politicians to cultural contributors and a whole lot more. Stay in the know with After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you missed the live broadcast, catch the repeats every Sunday to Thursday night at 10. If you're totally out of shape, Trainer Kim's has a new fitness class just for you. Created for anyone new or returning to fitness after an extended period, Fitness 101 features slow-paced workouts allowing for proper instruction and form. Breaks are given for recovery and all exercises can be modified to meet every ability. If you are ready to take this first step towards a stronger, healthier body, contact Trainer Kim today by emailing trainer underscore Kim at hotmail.com. 
Copar Administration is celebrating 25 years of providing quality employment services to communities in B.C. and Alberta. Whether you are looking for a job or looking to hire, the key is finding the right fit. The friendly team at Copar can help with hiring events, resume, cover letter and interview assistance, wage subsidies, training, new hire supports and more. The best part is all of Copar's employment services are free. Find the right fit today. Contact Copar Administration at coparadmin.ca. People for jobs, jobs for people. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries today. Wind from the south at 20. Hive minus 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 10. Tonight partly cloudy. A 30% chance of flurries early this evening. Wind at the 15K. A low of minus 9 with a wind chill to minus 14. Mainly sunny on Saturday, wind becoming north 20 gusting to 40 near noon, a high of minus 2 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 8. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So we're back with uh, the After 9 political panel, and we're talking, there's some interesting stuff coming out of the school board yet again. I, I feel bad for folks on the school board because uh, you know, the previous uh, school board actually, I think half of them quit because of some of the issues involved there. And we're four months into the new school board's tenure, and they're already facing a lot of controversy. The latest thing is that they did not allow two union reps to speak at their latest meeting. They also cut the public feed before questions started being asked. Additionally, there's another piece to this. They have a set of policies, including anti-racism, anti-discrimination policies, that have been on the table since 2019, have gone through two rounds of public consultation and still haven't been been adopted. They're now pushing them back to hopefully June to be adopted. I'm just wondering what is going on at the school board when they, you know, although they, they claim that they were following policy about, you know, who gets to speak and, you know, how much time they need to, in advance to be uh, asked the question. I mean, it sounds to me like they should be making space for members of their, of the union that represents their teachers to speak at any meeting they want. Art, what do you think is going on here? I think they feel like they're being bullied by certain people, or these people want to come in and bully them. Uh, They basically knew what Beauregard was going to say anyway because he said similar things before and uh, I guess you know they didn't want to hear it again uh, uh, that kind of pressure on them there's there's this uh, soji thing sexual orientation and gender gender identity and that's Beauregard's big deal and there's a lot of parents who don't want their children indoctrinated with this, and uh, they think uh, their kids are in school to learn the things they need to learn, like uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, history, that kind of stuff. Uh, they don't want them indoctrinated in, in all this sexual stuff, and it's it's like, you know, why why are you teaching this to young kids? And uh, maybe the, the school board doesn't want any more of this pressure put on them. Whatever. Uh, I, I expect it's going to keep on controversial for quite some time. Yeah, it's interesting. If they don't want to hear from Beauregard that they simply just don't let him speak, um, I mean, there are other options for them, right, that, to give him a certain amount of time and not go over. I just I wonder if that's the approach they should be taking. If they don't want to hear from someone who has a, 
a position that or they should be listening to him. Well, Beauregard himself wants to shut people up who have different ideas as his. So why is he complaining? He's just getting what he wants That's from the other side. So, yeah. Herb, what do you think about this whole uh, controversy? Sort of a, another in a sad litany of dysfunction. I mean, how much energy has been spent on that renaming that school, mm-hmm. right? I mean, now uh, now people are, are, are wasting time and energy not allowing other people to speak. It's um, Yeah, it's, it seems very, very far from education and, um, and really about um, people sharpening uh, axes and, or, you know, for personal vendettas. And uh, it's, it just seems a shame. Eric, you got anything, uh, any, any advice for the school board that they might be able to take and clean I up their actor? That old saying, shoemakers stick to your shoes. So <clears throat> I think the unions uh, should keep away from public meetings. They, they have a format to follow. They, they negotiate with the school board and the contracts and that. And that's where a lot of these issues should come up. Not at a, a, a school board open public meeting and you've got unions putting across their uh, point of view and they're doing it for any number of different reasons and not all of them the right reasons would be right for the union I've watched just from the sidelines school boards over the years and they're totally politicized between the the NDP and the and the liberals and so we have these ongoing po- politics all the time we don't need that and the same as the uh, <clears throat> just the regular meetings you know they would have put some, if if they were putting an issue forward a couple of times, it wasn't contentious. Nobody paid any attention to it. It's just the ones that the vested interest groups want to get in there and get their uh, their uh, point of view across, and they like to do it publicly. You know, we're starting to get that with the uh, like the uh, fire department saying we need another fire hall and we need thirty more deals and we, you know that type of thing. That's city hall business. They can sit down and discuss it with city hall. These guys are now advocating for it. They're putting uh, letters out to people. Are you going to support this and this and this in the next election? Hmm. I kind of wonder if that's a good idea. Kind of remind. It actually reminds me of the police union in Vancouver supporting the mayor who ended up getting in. Yeah. Right. Um, that's an interesting point. I mean, the the one union rep did come in afterwards during the public discussion time to make her point, which was we should have had an opportunity to speak during the right. Um, yeah, the uh, maybe you're right. Maybe actually, a union representative should be using the, those channels that are available to them in negotiating contracts, etc. Uh, what do people think about that? Is I mean, is this is that limiting democratic access, or should they be should there be actually space for those people who I, I would say you know they have kind of a, almost a special status if they're repping the teachers to be able to come and speak to the to the school board. But I'm, but I'm saying that the individuals, union members can go to any meeting they want and yep. express it. But it doesn't have to be the union representing a thousand people. Now you now it's politics. Right. Yeah. The unions are not supposed to run the school board. That's why we have a board and it's yeah. elected. Yeah. Interesting. Uh any other any other comments on that Herb? No. Uh so we're gonna move on to the uh this provincial budget that came out on I believe Tuesday. One billion dollars for mental health and addictions. That's a big number. Uh, there, and there are a whole bunch of programs that are coming out of that. Uh, but you know, the, the thing that I'm hoping for is 
of these, they, they've got 195 new beds for mental health and addictions, complex care, you know, people who need, who need to get off the, out of their situations and, and have real uh, recovery. Um, 45 are going to be in St. Paul's Hospital, 50 in a thing called Providence Healthcare, I guess, in, uh, in the Vancouver area, and then a hundred dis- distributed around the rest of the province. Um, I'm just hoping that some of those come here. I'd love to hear what we think about, uh, you know, this number, a billion dollars around mental health and addictions. And if we, if this is actually going to be something that meets our needs, the liberals are already saying we're not getting enough, we're not getting enough beds in time for people to actually get the, 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 the care they need. Herb? It's a good first start. Let's uh, see where it goes. Uh, it's better than doing nothing. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I don't know. I, I'll wait and see. I mean, I, you know, all these uh, uh, beds for uh, re- rehabbing drug addicts, uh, it's it's a, it's a valiant effort, but uh, the numbers uh, don't lie. I think the average addict takes uh, six trips to rehab clinics before they're cured. It's a very difficult situation. Uh, as far as uh, the, the Redfish uh, program, I think that's uh, designed for people that uh, uh, can be committed, basically. Yeah, that's take- you're referring to the new, newish uh, uh, program on the old Riverview grounds where you can be put institutionalized, basically, for up to nine months. Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully that'll, that'll take uh, some of the burden off of... Uh, uh, you know the people on the streets that uh, basically seem to have no el- nowhere else to go and and uh, can't cope uh, with life. So again, that's a, a good first step, and uh, let's let's see what works. I mean, what the liberals are saying right now, their, their main concern is that they're not going to be able to roll it out fast enough because the issue for a lot of people who are who are looking for treatment is that they can't access it when they want it. And that's a tough thing for someone who's looking for help. It doesn't often, you know, it takes you some time to end up as, you know, in, in the kind of AA world, they talk about hitting rock bottom. I'm not sure if that's what you need to do, but it, you know, there's, there's a time when there's a window there to get into the treatment, right? And if you miss that window, you might not come back. And given the, the lethality of the drugs that are on the street now, you might die before your next, your, the next time that you've got some options there. I just wonder if they're going to be able to open these beds up in any meaningful uh, amount of time. And we'll have to take a short break, be back after these messages to hear from Eric and Art. The UNBC Arts Club has issued a call for artists to take part in the first-ever Laidback Art Show. Scheduled for April 10th to May 10th, this art show is for anyone and everyone who dabbles in visual arts. It's for the daytime doodlers, the part-time painters, and the Sunday ceramicists to squash art snobbery and celebrate the beauty of imperfection. Email your intent to participate or any questions to arts.club at unbc.ca by March 25th and be a part of the Laidback Art Show. UNBC Musical Club's 2023 production is No No Nanette. First performed in 1924, No No Nanette is a farcical story involving three couples who find themselves together at a cottage in Atlantic City amid a blackmail scheme. Tickets for No No Nanette are available at Theatre Northwest and through theaternorthwest.com. No No Nanette, March 16th to 19th and March 23rd to 26th at Theatre Northwest. A presentation of the UNBC Musical Club. 
This year's Canadian Institute of Forestry Master's Night will take place on the afternoon of Friday, March 31st at UNBC. The Institute is looking for three NRES graduate students to make a short presentation on their current research project. Students selected to make a presentation will receive a $100 honorarium. Presentation abstracts should be submitted to Allen at tccsolutions.ca. Submission deadline is March 10th. Successful presenters will be notified during the week of March 20th. The Prince George Public Library is celebrating bad art. Well, maybe not bad art, but art created in a judgment-free zone with a variety of different materials. Bad art is held at the downtown branch of the Public Library on Tuesdays until April 18th from 6.30 to 7.30. Leave your preconceived ideas about art at the door and just have fun creating bad art at the Downtown Public Library. Bad art will also be happening at the Nechaco branch on March 24th and April 21st from 12.30 to 1.30. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back to After 9 with the Friday political panel. Eric, uh... What do you think about this budget, at least the billion dollars for mental health and addiction? Is that enough? And are they going to actually be able to roll it out, get the people required to staff the new beds and actually build the facilities? Yeah, this, uh, strange as it may seem, is, is almost identical to the problem with, uh, with the forest and the pertency. We had all this stuff a number of years ago. We had treatment centers. We had counselors, government and otherwise and uh, all over the province. And the Liberals dumped them all. They dumped them. And uh, we don't have them anywhere. We had detox centers all over the place where people could go and dry out and then try to get them into uh, um, care so they can be looked after. Now, there's interesting statistics out there that they never talk about, but if you read the articles and some of the government people talking, you can tell that they've read it just by some of the words that they use. Statistically, as I understand it, about 10% of any given demographic or profession has problems with either alcohol or drugs in our society, about 10%. People that have serious problems, about 1 out of 10, might be able to turn it around. The rest of them probably won't. I remember reading an article once where an individual went to 100 treatment centers over a period of 20-some-odd years and died drunk sort of gives you an example that going to treatment doesn't guarantee anything. I remember one guy who used to run the treatment center here would talk to his group of people there and there's 18 people there and he says, one of you, maybe if you're lucky, will get sober. The rest of you will go back drinking. So it's not a cure-all, but it's the only direction we can go to maybe solve some of those problems. The street people, you know, it's kind of sad that you have to say this, but they don't even fit into the category to get into treatment. You know, yeah, they, they have much they, more complex issues. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that has to be a whole different thing. We take the, the thing on First Avenue where they started to do something and it stopped. And I have yet to hear anybody to, to explain why it's Well, they have, they have one supportive housing unit open now, 50 units. Three. Yeah, they're supposed to be in their building there, yeah. But they leased that property for three years. So with an option to renew. So I don't know what's going on there. But if they're going to do something, you better get started on it. And, uh, you know, if you want to... I mean, this is kind of wild. But because there's not too many options in the country for uh, creating jobs, maybe our uh, area of expertise could be in 
looking after homeless people, maybe from all over the province. We could have, you know, I mean, they have it in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, a big, huge treatment center for alcoholics and that. And it's a major, major business for the community, aside from the fact that it's doing good work. Maybe we could do that. And, uh, you know, otherwise we're just going to go round and round and round. I've heard I've heard somebody say something about, you know, Prince George should become the healing hub of the north here. We already are. We're full of, full of services. I mean, it's our number one industry right now. Art, what do you think about the, this uh, billion dollars for mental health and, and, and addiction recovery? It, you know, is it going to do what they're, what they're hoping it will? No. It's uh, not nearly enough to do what they're hoping it will. I mean, you know... 95 beds in the whole greater Vancouver area. What is 3 million people there? And what percentage of them need treatment? Like, it, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. I don't know if we can spend enough money to do what we, they're, they're hoping to accomplish. So, no, I, I can't see it happening. Uh, and I, I have to agree with Herb that, you know, it, it's not easy to quit an addiction. I, I had an addiction to tobacco many, many years ago. It took me at least six tries to quit. I quit. I think I quit more than six times before it finally took. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was spread out over quite a few years. Uh, so, yeah, if you're addicted to uh, methamphetamines or coke or heroin or something like that, you're in a lot worse situation than I was. If it's going to take you that long, so yeah. Uh, but it's it's a reflection of our society that this is even needed in the first place. There's something very wrong going on here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what's how are we producing this number of people who require that kind of uh, you know knockout drugs to to just to feel okay about themselves, right? Like if you think about this as as self medicating, how are we? How is this society producing that number of people who require this kind of help? Well, for one thing, I'm, and we're not talking about the, the homeless street people addicts here, the uh, professionals, uh, right. everyday working people. Um, Kids that, in private that, school who are using Adderall, yeah, to go yeah, through tests. And, and uh, they are addicts as well, and probably most of them, they are the type that more of them are using than, than the street people. And it's like it's part of society. It's the attitude that gets them started, like, oh, yeah, we all do cocaine. Here, have some. Have a snort, you know. Yeah. It's, it's the way alcohol used to be, you know. You come in and have a drink, you know. and So th- there's something going wrong, something different that's happening in society. It's becoming acceptable and uh, becoming dangerous at the same time. I mean, I, I wonder, I, I would go, what, what's the causation here, right? Like, is it is it we're we're accepting it because and that's what's causing people to use or there's so many people using that we become that we become start accepting it right and i don't know what the answer is about you know this is this is about trauma right i mean you know you're talking about recreational use really if yeah, you're recreational use amongst ordinary everyday working people that's that's normal right lawyers. yeah 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 and that's very acceptable but it also makes certain people a lot of money right oh yeah yeah and yeah that's uh that's another another ball of wax entirely there was a, a few other things in the budget around housing for instance uh, a lot of the the kind of onus is now being placed on tax credits etc to try to move uh to try to boost the the housing starts uh herb i know you were looking at the housing uh, issue in the budget did you have a comment 
Yeah, it doesn't seem to be much there, really. It's um, uh, they promised renters um, some sort of tax rebate, uh, but really, you know, the the overall outlook isn't great. The um, number of housing starts is forecast to decrease this year. Um, the government is um, kind of blaming uh, municipalities. Municipalities are blaming the, the government. Uh, if you look around Prince George, uh, BC Housing seems to have put a bid in on that uh, uh, apartment complex downtown. Yeah, that's uh, what thirty-six units. It's, uh, the guy was asking fifteen point nine million, and it's not even finished yet. So is that? I mean, that's that's an average cost per unit of over four hundred thousand uh, dollars. You know, is that something that the government should be subsidizing? I don't think so. I think we should be looking for low cost housing, and not subsidizing developers who may have gotten themselves into uh, some trouble. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after these messages. Your Prince George Spruce Kings are recognizing the contributions and support of you, the fans, with fan appreciation nights for the remainder of the regular season. Adult and senior tickets are just $10, with youth getting in for 5 thanks to Interior Savings Credit Union. Your Spruce Kings entertain the Vernon Vipers tonight and tomorrow, and the Salmon Arm Silverbacks March 17th and 18th. Single-game tickets for these fan appreciation nights are available online at sprucekings.bc. Construction professionals from around Norton, B.C. will gather at the Build the North Conference March 22nd to 23rd. Hosted by the Norton Regional Construction Association, Build the North will be tackling topics like contracts, risk management, leadership, mental health, culture, branding, technology, and creating resiliency. The conference will be held at the Coast Hotel, and registration is now open. Registration and full details are available through the Northern Regional Construction Association's website at nrca.ca. Shortly after 1 a.m. on Tuesday, February 7th, Prince George RCMP responded to a report of an armed robbery at a gas station on the 8,000 block of the Hart Highway. Arrests have been made, but investigators are looking to speak with any witnesses or to anyone who has dash cam footage showing the suspect's vehicle, a dark-colored minivan, following the robbery. If you have any information related to this robbery, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries today, wind from the south at 20, high of minus 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 10. Tonight, partly cloudy, a 30% chance of flurries early this evening, wind up to 15K, a low of minus 9 with a wind chill to minus 14. Mainly sunny on Saturday, wind becoming north 20 gusting to 40 near noon, a high of minus 2 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 8. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with the Friday political panel. Art, you had another comment on the B.C. budget? Yeah, it's just that they seem to be into this attitude of spend, spend, spend. I mean, they they, they finished the year with a $6 billion surplus, and they just had to blow it. Uh, and this year they're coming in with a $4 billion deficit, and next year $3 billion. Why didn't they use some of that $6 billion to pay off that deficit to cover the, the, the spend expenditures or pay down the debt. Uh, and uh, we have uh, Conroy uh, saying that uh, the government knows that there are some economic headwinds ahead of us. Well, you know, you don't run a government like a company, but you should run it like a family. And 
when a family, a a responsible family, sees some headwinds ahead of them, they tighten their belts. They don't boost spending. This is what the government should be doing, but they're they're not being responsible. I'm, I'm very disappointed in that. I wonder. Uh, it's too bad Peter's not here. I know he has very he has very strong opinions about budget surpluses. Herbert, do you have anything else to add about that? Uh, not really. I mean, it sort of seems like, uh, and we'll probably get this later about Alberta. But everyone is uh, looking for an election budget, so right. everyone wants to spend. So let's uh, let's shift. Maybe just get in there for a second. Yeah, go ahead. It, uh, part of the problem. It's a huge part of the problem. Is going from election to election. A lot of decisions are made based on trying to get reelected. <clears throat> so it's based on all, all the wrong things. You know, I'm not overly uh, concerned about some politician that wants to get elected on my dime so he can get a job and look after himself and to hell with everybody else. So, you know, we have to change that thinking. Uh, where's the responsible men and women in, in uh, communities in British Columbia that are supposed to be looking after our interests and not in politics? I'll tell you that. And it's all just so... So the housing situation, I mean, if you if you read all the bad news, you know, housing prices are going down, interest rates are going up, jobs are disappearing, and, uh, you know, what's going to... And then, of course, the, the big mega projects are, are going to disappear also. we got some serious, serious problems coming, and they're primarily concerned with getting elected in health care. A lot more to it than that. Somebody better start doing something. I wonder. This sounds like a really good segue into the into talking about Alberta's budget as well. I do want to. I like keeping track of our neighbors over there. They are coming into a guaranteed election. They're following their their standard uh, their timed elections. So fixed they'll be having one, fixed dates. election dates yet. They'll be having one this year, and everyone is is pointing the finger at the Wild Rose. Or, sorry, the. UCP. UCP, United Conservative Party's uh, budget, and saying that it's uh, de- definitely looks like a, a real election budget. Um, the the uh, <laughs> it's funny, Travis. I think you pronounce it Taves. Certainly didn't deny that it was an election budget. He said, "We have an election here in a few months, and this is a budget just ahead of that election." <laughs> so, <laughs> great yeah, answer, well. yeah, right. Uh, Herb, did you want to start out here talking about like what we're seeing in the Alberta election? And it's it's interesting to me, you know, t- to uh, Art's point about about governments just throwing money. This is a conservative government that is clearly throwing money, right? Yeah, I mean, they, UCP has no shame. I mean, basically, they they're going to uh, they plan on spending three billion dollars more than the NDP had planned uh, in this this year's budget. So, um, I guess if you're a fiscal conservative, you got to start uh, voting for NDP in Alberta. <laughs> I actually have a, a friend and colleague in Alberta who, who he was a member of the Conservative Party. Now he feels homeless. He doesn't want to vote for the NDP, but that might be his only option. <laughs> Eric, what do you think about this uh, this new Alberta budget? Well, I mean, Alberta is doing what they usually do. You know, it reminds me when they wanted to shave off the tops of the mountains to get the coal out of there. <clears throat> it didn't matter that it ran into the creeks and rivers and streams. I mean... Uh, Alberta has a lot of good things going for it, but also a lot of bad. Like, they have farming industry, they have forestry, they have uh, regular uh, manufacturing plants, all sorts of good things that keep the country going. And then, of course, they got the oil sands, and then, of course, the radical sort of right-wing politicians. They just need to back off a bit and, and 
kind of reinvent themselves. You don't have to be radical all the time. You know? <laughs> uh, that was part of Notley's point there was, you know, okay, great. You've got some new investment here for, for you know, social services. It's still not, not where it should be based on population growth, but there's nothing about economic diversi- diversification or technology branching out, which is where Alberta really needs to be considering they are, just like BC, very dependent on uh, resource extraction. Art, what do you think about this budget? Well, it reminds me of a quote from Alexander Fraser Teitler. I know you may be familiar with this. He said, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from that public treasury. There's more to the quote, but that's all we need to know for this. Um Danielle Smith has uh, been in the public for some 24 years. That's the premier there now. And she's been an idealist, and she's consistently uh, deplored governments that spend surpluses and spend the heritage fund and the like. And she's always recommended financial rigor and lower taxes and spending restraint by government. So uh, <laughs> it, it seems to be a departure from her. But the fact is, the reality is, when you don't have to win an election, you can afford to be a pure idealist. But when you do have to win an election, you must answer to the needs of the situation. And what Teitler said is true. The one who promises the most goodies is generally going to get the most uh, votes. So, uh, you know, she does have a lot of good things going for her. It's a balanced budget. No tax uh, increases, debt repayment, and no spending of the Heritage Fund. And uh, they said the Heritage Fund, if people hadn't, governments hadn't been digging into that over the past few decades, the Heritage Fund would be over $300 billion by now. So uh, I think she's uh, doing what she has to do. That's politics as t- opposed to pure ideology. And uh, I'm sure she'll do what she can to uh, live up to her ideals as government. It's interesting. I, it seems to me like no matter who you are and where you come from, you get into these situations and all of a sudden you act like everybody else, right? You have to... If you want to get elected? Yeah. You know, restraint does not get you elected. That's it. Well, we're going to take a short break and we got a couple more topics to discuss uh, to the top of the hour. Join Mr. Francois at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library every second Wednesday for Read to Me in French. Mr. Francois will read from the library's extensive collection to entertain children ages 5 to 9, or you can bring in a favorite French book from home, and he may read from that. This is a free drop-in event between 6 and 6.30. The next Read to Me in French session is this Wednesday, March the 8th. The B.C. Chamber of Commerce has launched a new two-phase initiative to address B.C.'s acute workforce challenges and help build labor force capacity and resiliency. The first phase is underway with a survey on addressing the labor market gap, now available online. Phase one will culminate in the publication of the survey results in May. The Addressing the Labor Market Gap survey is available until 5 this evening and open to everyone through the Chamber's homepage at bcchamber.org. The Prince George Council of Seniors is pleased to 
to announce their Friends and Family Caregiver Support Program. If you're the caregiver for a senior who lives in the Prince George area needing support, or you're just feeling frustrated or overwhelmed, the support program has informed education, fun self-care activities, and groups to help you maneuver through the challenges you face. For more information on the free and confidential caregiver support program, call the Council of Seniors at 250-564-5888. The Prince George RCMP are requesting your help in locating 26-year-old Ulysses Sidney Nicholas wanted for failing to comply with probation. He's described as an indigenous male, 5 foot 7, 200 pounds, with black hair, brown eyes, and a scar on his left arm. Mr. Nicholas should be considered violent and should not be approached. If you know the whereabouts of Ulysses Sidney Nicholas, please contact the Prince George RCMP at 250-561-3300. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with the Friday political panel. I did want to... Uh kind of talk a little bit about mayor lynn hall receiving the freedom of the city award which uh, ironically gives him free parking for life and strangely the right to graze a cow on the on city hall grounds uh yeah i I, it's been interesting reading some of the uh media's responses to to this story or and just you know talking about Lynn Hall in general four months after he was uh after he left office um you know he was he was highly criticized for a number of uh a number of issues that he you know during his term from homelessness over to the overspending and and you know kind of uh seemingly try to hide uh some of the conditions of the contract of that of of that underground parking lot but now it's almost like uh don't speak ill of the dead. You know, the, there, there are a lot of positive things coming out of Lynn Hall. And I just wanted to kind of get the panel's impressions on what, what should Lynn Hall's legacy really be? Uh, you know, is it, is it about his ability to, to, you know, be professional and bring people together or should we still making, be making sure that we remember some of those, uh, serious issues as well? You want to start us off, Eric? Yeah. I, you know, I think with, uh, Lynn, you got to look at his, time on the school board, his time as the counselor, and then time as the mayor. <clears throat> he looked like a mayor. He walked and talked like a mayor. And uh, people were pretty proud to have somebody like that. If we look at some of our uh, mayors in the past, not so good. <laughs> so in that sense, he was leaps and bounds ahead of some of them. But you run into problems. And those problems, we don't get the inner workings of like uh, what went on with the overrun at the parkade or something. It was a thing that was in the works for two years or something. And they did try to find a way to get around it, uh, not necessarily because they didn't want to get caught. It's because they were in a bind, and, and your your options were really one of two things. Just leave it standing where it is and walk away, or try to find a solution and solve the problem. Well, they didn't find a full solution because, as I understand it, the other two aren't going to be built. So if that's the case, we got a serious problem there with the 40-year financing of the original plan when we went underground with the parking. And with the uh, you know the one building there, they got a 10-year tax exemption, those types of things. I, I've had a few run-ins with the mayor on uh, tax exemptions uh, for business downtown. Because all that means is somebody else has got to pay the taxes. And usually it's the people who own houses that have to pony up while the other guy gets a free ride 
My my stance for business is you stand and fall based on your business acumen. Is that the word? And if you can't run your business, then you're not in business. You know, I'm not going to go and pay a high price or high like a guy said. Oh, I wage give him more than minimum wage. Uh, I'll have to raise the price of hamburgers, then nobody will buy them. Well, too bad. Right. Now go yeah. home and cook your own bloody hamburger. Yeah. I'm not going to finance you. you exactly. So you can snap your suspenders and say you're a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, if you require the real world. If you require slave labor, then you got a business problem. <laughs> like we said here earlier, uh, you know the uh, what the hell did we say something about? Going, yeah, I should have plead plead bankruptcy. Do whatever the law requires you to do, but quit. Try to run a business on government tax dollars. All right, what do you think? What, what is the legacy of our of our former mayor here? I, he's a nice guy. He seems to be a real good guy, and a very likable person. He's uh, very good at public relations, uh, a, a good um, uh, face for the, 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 the government of the city. And... Uh, like a duck, all the controversies seem to shed right off him, so, like water <laughs> off a duck. So I think he'll have a a good uh, legacy, good memories, uh, although I don't think he deserves them all. He made huh. some mistakes there, and they were pretty big. Yeah. Uh, Herb, during the break, you were mentioning some of the actual positive things that the mayor brought to city council. Yeah, I think you got to remember, you know, he, he came out of an era where uh, Sherry Green was the mayor, and there was a lot of confrontation and, and dissension at City Hall. And uh, he he worked as a, a facilitator and a mediator, and that was his background. And um, but um, uh, his weakness was that um, didn't really have a solid vision for downtown. Didn't know what to do with the uh, homeless. Um, got uh, taken in by a developer's uh, vision for uh, high priced condos and an underground parking uh, parkade. And uh, so, you know, a good guy, uh, well, you know, good with working with people, but uh, not much of a business sense and um, and basically tried to put lipstick on a pig. And um, uh, you know, we, we've wound up with some high priced projects downtown that uh, haven't worked. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the I, I still wonder about this. The densification of downtown, I think it's a really important thing going forward for Prince George. And the question then is, it is about where you put the cars. You can't go down. That, that was their mistake, right? We're sitting on a floodplain. We've got water issues. That was why the, the cost overruns were so high. How do we densify if we can't go down? Do we just park our cars above ground? Do we do it like what they did with the uh, yeah, I mean, the, the library? Un- the underground parkade is right beside uh, an existing parkade, pretty much, that was built in the 70s. It's above ground. It's above ground. So people are going to have to actually park the car somewhere and then walk into their into their condo unit. Uh, that's, yeah. That's right. how densification is going to have to go. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, one last note here. The... Uh, just switching gears, there's this one forest summit happening in Gabon, um, and it's all about kind of preserving primary forests, the Amazon, uh, the Congo, right, the the Southeast Asian uh, jungles where we have the remaining some of the remaining biodiversity on Earth. The poorer countries are asking for support from richer countries to protect these uh, these forests. And I wonder, considering that Canada, we have made Lots of cash off of mowing down our primary forests. 
Do you think that we have a responsibility to protect the remaining biodiversity on Earth by subsidizing that protection? What do you think, Eric? Well, I think we have a responsibility, but we can go to the corporations first and probably get nothing. That's what they normally give us. And and they might even pay us. Once they get paid for telling us, they're going to give us nothing. So, yeah, no, there's some responsibility there. But if we can't do it at home, we're not going to do it somewhere else. Just throwing money at it. If we can do it here, then we're a model for the rest of the world. But somebody's got to get started on this. All right, what do you think? At the end of the 19th century in North America, there were more for or less forest, less forest cover than there is today. And the reason was they had a lot of horses, and they had to have land to feed those horses. When the internal combustion engine came in, uh, they didn't need all the, that marginal farmland. It was allowed to go back to forest. Modernization will do it. And all these third world countries, like they are clearing tropical uh, rainforests in places like Borneo uh, to put in uh, palm oil plantations yeah. so they can put biofuel in the Mercedes of guilty feeling Europeans who think they can <laughs> save the environment that way. Uh, no, we shouldn't be supporting them. We should be just getting off that stupid bandwagon. Herb, last word, yes or no? Uh, no, traditional, um, encourage traditional uses. Uh, there's there's all sorts of communities there lived in the forests harmoniously forever, and uh, let them continue. All right, thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFIS-FM, Prince George, proudly partnered with local community groups like the Railway and Forestry Museum on River Road next to Cottonwood Island Park.